Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at antiochatx.com. Now here's Pastor J.D. Griffin. We're starting a new series. Everybody say, yeah. This new series is called The Hustle. The Hustle. All right, so... We're going to be leaning in over the next few weeks, and we're going to take a couple of pauses throughout the series, right? So Kendall's not going to be talking about the hustle. He's going to be talking about breakthrough. Mother's Day, we're not going to talk about the hustle. We're going to talk about moms. But So we're going to take a couple of timeouts along the way, but we're going to be camping out on this idea of, of, of understanding that we've been made on purpose with a purpose. We've been made on purpose with a purpose, and the roadmap, our GPS system that's going to anchor us through these next days is found in 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, though I am free and I belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win, everybody say win, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one who is under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, become like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win, everybody say win. As to win those who have not having the law, to the weak, I'm the weak. To win the weak, I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Verse 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. I do all things possible so that I might save some, might possibly win some And I believe that God wants to download for us over these next few weeks some transformational ideas. Because I don't know about you, but I know that even the thought of evangelism can make your skin crawl. Is this just me? Or can we be real? Can we be real at church, right? The thought of I'm going to go share my faith with somebody. I'm going to go tell them that I love Jesus. The thought of that, we begin to think, ooh, that's not my gifting, right? That's not what I do. It feels awkward. It feels funky. And I, I believe that God wants to begin to download some things to us. that are going to help us understand that we've been made on purpose for a purpose And actually being about, like Paul talked about, winning those around us, seeing, doing everything that we can so that some might be saved. Living not because of how I want to live, but because of what's going to share the gospel to those I'm living around, living with others in mind. I think God wants to begin to open our eyes that it's not something that we have to do, but it's something that we already do. I'm going to say that again. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we all ready do. Because God made you on purpose for a purpose. And it's when we step out of living in the purpose that life gets awkward. Now, some of you like awkward. I don't enjoy it. I'm not a fan. 
try to do everything I can to keep out of awkward situations. I don't like it. I don't like silence in a gym. Everybody ever been to a gym and it's silent. It's awkward. Not a fan. I'll just leave. Awkward. I don't do awkward. Anybody ever been to a coffee shop and the music's not loud enough? Awkward. I leave. Not a fan. Okay. I like to escape awkward. I don't like to embrace it. That's not my deal. I don't do it. I don't do awkward. Now, a lot of you know some of Liz and I's dating relationship. Powerful. Liz is my wife. Sometimes I'll say Liz and I won't clarify that she's my wife. And people will come up to her and they will not know that we're married. And it makes it even more awkward because I'll be talking about sleeping with her and how sexy she is. And she'll be like, oh, are you guys dating? I'll be like, wow. If the pastor is hollering down sexy jokes at somebody he's dating, go to another church, okay? This is my wife. But she hasn't always been my wife, all right? We, we, we started dating. And the very beginning of that was very awkward. Mostly because I was head over heels with Liz. She was not quite feeling the vibes the same way for me. And so it created some distance that that I would try to close that gap. But sometimes it was awkward. And there was one day, actually, before we were formally dating, we were just in that kind of like, I don't know what we are but I like not talking about it because it's safe. Y'all know what I'm talking about, college students, right? I don't know kind of who we are. We hang out every once in a while. makes me feel good. But when I think about trying to figure out what we are, and you might say no, I'm just going to leave that alone, right? I'm going to leave it over there. I'm just going to keep rolling in this kind of ambiguous stage uh, of opportunities for potential but no clarity. So that's kind of where we were. And... She actually was also kind of in that same season with one of my best friends. Now, it was cool. I mean, we, we kind of had a gentleman's agreement about it, and we were just like, dude, let the best man win. You know what I mean? Like, every time we talk about it, we're like, bro, good luck. You're going to lose. You know what I mean? Like, it was, I'm competitive. I'm confident in my swag ability. Like, I'm thinking, go for it, homie. Like, your, your best shot is not enough, but give it a go. And so I asked Liz out on her birthday. I thought that's an easy ask, right? That's a great, ambiguous, like, gray area. Is this a date? I don't know. Go with the birthday, right? So I say, hey, do you want to go to dinner on your birthday? Now, she says yes, right? Because, girls, you should say yes. The worst thing that can happen is you get a free dinner, right? So she says Yes, and about an hour before, I had made this elaborate plan to take her. We were living in Waco at the time. We went to a school there in Waco. We were were making our way. uh, I made a plan to make our way down from Waco to have dinner in Salado, okay? Now, she was just thinking we're just going to some, like, little restaurants. Like, no, I'm about to bring it. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm about to make a statement. This is, is, in my mind, level 10, and her mind says I'm just going out for my birthday. So, So I go... And I'm getting ready, and I find out about an hour before I'm going to pick her up that my friend, who was named Brandon, had taken her out for lunch that day. Now, you got to understand, Brandon was everything that I was not, okay? He was about six foot two, gorgeous, a literal supermodel, works right now in New York. You've seen him. He is absolutely everything that I'm not, okay? He has long, flowy hair. Blue eyes, tan year around, the people that make you nauseous. You know what I'm talking about? 
And, like, he is so spontaneous. Like, he would just, like, pick up and do stuff like that. I'm a planner. I don't do spontaneous. I'll do crazy if I planned it, right? But I don't, I don't do spontaneous at all. And this dude's, like, super spontaneous. And I knew that Liz loved that. Like, Liz loved to be spontaneous. I didn't, and I would try. I would try to be spontaneous, but it just never would work out, you know. So now I'm feeling the super pressure because he had gone out with her that afternoon, and I'm taking her out for dinner. So I go pick her up, and I'm like, hey, we're going to go to Salado. She's already a little bit like, wow, that's a little much. I'm like, no, we're going to go to Salado. So we go to this restaurant. Salado, it's a Mexican food restaurant. She doesn't even like Mexican food, so it's already starting bad, okay. And then I'm so nervous sitting across the table from her that I eat my entire meal, and she's still cutting her enchiladas. I'm not making this up. Like, so they clear my plate, and she's taking her first bite. You want to talk about awkward? Watch somebody eat when you don't even got a plate. So I'm trying to make up for this, and all I can think in my mind is we're leaving this restaurant. I'm like, man, we don't know what to talk about. This is so tough. Like, why is this so hard? She's so hot. Oh, my God. And, like, I'm like, what would Brandon do? (laughs) Like, Brandon would do something spontaneous right now. That's what he would do, and that's probably what she wants. So I look at her on a whim. I don't do whims. I look at her on a whim. I'm like, what if we don't go back to the house? What if we go dancing in Austin? And she goes, let's do it. So instead of heading back to Waco, we head down to Austin. 15 minutes into the trip, I regret everything. Because I don't do spontaneous. So spontaneous people, when they're doing something spontaneous, they get like a rush. And they're like, this is so exciting. When you don't do spontaneous, you feel all the other emotions like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? Where are we going to park? Where are we going to go? Do I have enough money? Blah, 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 blah. You know, you're just like, and I'm trying to be cool. So I'm driving. But inside, I'm like, oh, oh, you know, like. Now, I didn't grow up in Austin. I'd never even really been to Austin. The only time I'd ever gone to Austin was to do street evangelism on 6th Street. So the only place I knew to go was 6th Street. So now we're driving into Austin to go clubbing on 6th Street, and I don't know where to go on 6th Street. So we just, like, find parking. We walk down. And, you know, there's, like, different gradients of shadiness on 6th Street, right? And so, like, we found ourselves like in the shadiest of the shady place. And I didn't know what to do. Like I'd never even been to a club. Like I didn't do that. This was not me. But I'm just like, what would Brandon do? What would Brandon do? So I'm like rolling with it, trying to feel cool and trying to feel like I know what's going on. Now I look up and I see a sign and it says Roxy. Now you, what you don't, excuse me, what you don't know is that my brother Jake, before he gave his life to the Lord, was a clubber. For real, like black everything. He was that guy. And so you can make fun of him for it. So like if, Um, Because I do. But he would always go in Houston to this place called Club Roxy. And he would come home with these, like, tales of, like, all these fun things that they would do at this club. So, like, I'm looking around. It's like, it's just, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And I see Roxy, like, a block up. And I'm like, that's where we're going. So with confidence, like, I planned this. I'm like, hey, that's where we're going. We're going to the Roxy. We, we, we go in there, right? We pay, like, our $15 cover pay because we're, we're not old enough to drink. We're like... 
20 or 19 or 20. So we pay like our $15. We go in there. It is shady McShady. All right. Now, like I'm trying to honor God with my life and my eyes. And you is impossible, Club Roxy. Okay. Like impossible. But I'm trying to be like spontaneous, you know. So like I go to dance floor, you know, I'm like trying to work it. And like the, the most shady chicks in the club, like attack me. And so now, like Liz is over there, and like all this sin is upon me. And I'm just like trying to be moving my way past these people. We're in there about 10 minutes. I look at Liz. I'm like, hey, you want to go? She's like, yeah, we should go. And so we leave after 10 minutes, walk back to the car, and drive back to Waco. Awkward, man, just awkward, terrible. But when I feel those emotions again, when I think about what that felt like, Honestly, that's how I thought evangelism was supposed to feel for years. That I'm going to be doing something that I don't naturally do in an environment that I don't naturally hang out in. And everything about it is going to feel like an awkward Club Roxy experience. And so I just thought, like, I guess I just don't do evangelism, because if evangelism is that, I don't want to go back to Club Roxy, and I definitely don't want to feel those emotions again, and so we just kind of put it away, right, because we're like, I don't want to deal with this idea of sharing my faith, because that, it just is awkward. Every time I do it, it feels awkward. It feels forced. It feels like something that I'm trying to do versus just me being who I'm created to be. And I believe it's the biggest deception that the enemy has seeded in the hearts and the minds of believers is to think that who they are is not the most effective vessel that he's created to see the message of Jesus shared in the earth. We think that us being us is wrong So to share Jesus, we have to be somebody else. And when we become somebody else, it feels like you're in Club Roxy. And so if the devil can get you to think that you being you is not the right you, then he can silence you. He can silence you. And I believe that God wants to begin to awaken an army of people that believe that they've been made on purpose for a purpose. That you being you is the most effective you that God wants to use. You being you is the most effective you that God wants to use. You were made on purpose for a purpose. But we first have to understand that we were made on purpose. You were made on purpose for a purpose. I remember in college, I sat at a cafeteria table with this, with this young lady, and we were just kind of talking. I was just, you know, just trying to have a conversation. I was like, hey, what do you like? What are you passionate about? Like, what are you going? And I literally looked at her, and I was like, hey, you should do that. Like, you should run after that. 
And she looks at me, serious as a heart attack, and she says, it's not what I want to do, it's what God wants to do. And I remember thinking, that's, a, that's weird. Like, that, that's weird. Like, why would God, who made you, call you to something that you're not made to do? And then I started thinking about it, like, well, I think I actually believe that too. Because when I do the things that I feel made to do, when I lean into the things that I'm passionate about, I enjoy it. And God doesn't do enjoyment, right? Like to be with God is to suffer, is to hate your life, is to bear the cross, it's to drag your heels, it's to look sad, it's to be angry, right? That's what being a Christian is, not to like walk around like you're thriving. We chuckle about it, but that's honestly how most of us live. We live most of the time thinking I'm holy when I'm suffering. And I'm sinning when I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I'm telling you guys, we're going to unpack some things over these next few weeks. are going to change the way that we live. Because I believe God wants to awaken an army of people who understand that God made them on purpose for a purpose. That you were created to thrive in life, to enjoy the things that you've been given. Not that life is going to be easy or simple. No, life is going to be challenging because we're not in heaven yet. And sin has made things jacked up. And there's going to be pain and suffering and turmoil and disappointment. There's going to be things that don't go your way. You're going to hope for things that don't happen. You're going to believe in things that let you down. But that does not change the fact that you've been made on purpose. For a purpose. I love what King David wrote in Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. He says, for you created my innermost being, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. And when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You were made on purpose for a purpose. But, but you have to understand that there's an enemy. They want you to believe a lie. And that lie is that Psalms 139 verse 13 through 16 is not your truth. Maybe somebody else's truth, but not your truth. Because we think that me being me is not the right me. And that's because the devil is described as the father of of lies. John 8, 44 says this, he doesn't stand in truth because there's no truth in him, speaking of the devil. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Have you ever been driving, minding your own business, just cruising, and then all of a sudden this thought comes into your head, man, I suck. Does that happen to anybody else or just me? You're minding your own business. You're walking your dog down the street, and you get hit with this thought. Man, I'm good for nothing. You ever been sitting at your desk, sending an email, and 
the, you just get hit with this random thought like, I'm going to amount to nothing. The dreams that are inside of me are never going to happen. I should just give up. Has anybody ever heard that before? Go around in your brain, right? That's the father of lies. That's the devil lying to you. Trying to get you to think that you being you doesn't matter. That you being you is not on purpose and there is no purpose because you are worth nothing. That's what the devil is speaking to you because what he knows that sometimes we forget is that he's already lost. Game, set, match. He can't do anything to you, touch you. All he can do is accuse you. That's all he can do. His only weapon to try to shut you down and to cut off the plan of God in your life is to accuse you and lie to you that who you are is not who God wanted you to be. And so he gets you to try to live in someone else's skin. This is why humanity deals with comparison. We spend all of our time looking at other people, evaluating who we are based on what we see in them. Because we think that there's something inherently wrong with us because the father of lies has been lying to us. And the truth is, is that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made, handcrafted. And every single day of our life, God cared about enough to write it down. Because he cares, not just about you. He cares about every aspect of you. But the devil is trying to get you to believe that you don't matter. That you being you is not the you that God can use. But Jesus says this about us in Matthew 5. He says that you, speaking of us, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God says this. This is you. You're a Coleman. If you didn't know that, if your last name's not Coleman, it's been changed this morning. You're a light. God made you on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose was to shine, to be a light on a hill in a dark place. This is who you are. This is your identity. This is your destiny is to shine. We, Jesus says of us, you are the light of the world. And he says, if you put a light on a lampstand, do you cover it in a basket? No. Why did he say that? Because the devil wants you to do this with your light. Yeah, you might be the light of the world, but if the devil can get you to believe that you being you is not the you that God wants to use, that you weren't made on purpose and that there is no purpose, then he just blocked out your light. So it doesn't matter where God puts you because you're not shining where he's put you. And so just by default, the devil has won the battle of the day because he got you to not shine because we believe the lie. We believe these lies that get us to think like, oh, I just got to, I, I can't be, you know, th this is what drives me crazy. We think 
that the things we're passionate about are disconnected from the way that God's wired us to be lights on the hill. And we think, you know what I'm passionate about? I'm, I'm passionate about fashion. I, I don't know why, but I just am. I'm fascinated by it. I love being involved in it. I love working in the industry. And we think God can't care about that. God cares about people. God cares about sin. And so we separate the things we're passionate about from this idea of being a light. But the truth is, is that God made you passionate about those things on purpose, for the purpose of seeing the same kind of people see the light. You being the light of the world in what you're passionate about is what's going to bring transformation in the place that you were on purpose meant to be. You think like, well, man, I care about sports. I care about athletics. I want to be a great coach. God doesn't care about that. Wrong. He made you on purpose for a purpose to be the light of the world, to put you on a stand in the middle of what you're passionate about. And it's not awkward to share Jesus with people who are passionate about what you're passionate about. It's not. Because when you're hanging out with people that are passionate about what you're passionate about, here's a question that always comes up. What makes you tick? This happens all the time when I hang out with creative people. Like, I'm just creative enough to hang out with creative people. And I hang out with people who are just, like, super creative and just, like, amazingly talented. And there's a common theme that comes in, like, hey, where do your ideas come from? How do you come up with stuff? How do you have fresh ideas? It's natural then for me to say, you know, honestly, it's because I love Jesus, and Jesus is the most creative person in the world, and I just lean into him, and he just helps me get ideas. That's a normal conversation. What's awkward is when I live no different than them, I don't let them know where my hope comes from. I don't let them know who I am. I live like this disguised Christian life. You know what I'm talking about? It's that lie, like the, the, what kind of Paul wrote about, of being all things to all people. We misinterpret that as being like sinful to sinful people and hoping that they see something different in our eyes and then ask us, what is it about your eyes? And we can say Jesus, right? No, that's not how it works, right? That's like doing the old swoom with the basket on the lights, right? Have you ever done this? It's like you're hanging out, your friends, they don't know, they don't know anything that you're different, right? Because you you talk like them, you live like them, you watch the same stuff as them, you listen to the same stuff as them, they, and, but in your mind, you're like, oh, I'm doing this so I can reach them. But really, to them, you're just one of them because you've covered your light up, right? Because you're not shining different in that place, loving them, being with them. You think, I've got to become them. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we need to be in the world, but not of the world. But what we try to do is we try to be like, oh, I'm going to live like them, and all of a sudden, we're like, boom, boom. I'm a light. And they look at you like, dude, I'm never hanging out with you again, right? Because that is what? Awkward, right? That's strange. But when you step into an environment and all you do is shine, people begin to ask you, why do you shine? Why do you shine? I'll end with this. You know, one of the things that I am passionate about is I love working out. I'm not good at it. I'm not strong. Don't be impressed. But I like it. 
It's fun. And I got introduced to this thing called CrossFit. And I thought it was fun. And so I did it. And I just, just kind of gave my heart to it, just like I give everything, just like I do with everything I get passionate about. And I just go for it. But I had been really leaning in a few years ago to this truth about what does it mean for me to live as the light wherever that I am. You know, and so I found myself in this gym with these guys that did not have the light. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to be with them. And I'm going to be unapologetically the same me that I am with my Jesus-loving friends as I am with them. Which means if something inappropriate comes on the television, I'm going to walk out. That if something is playing on the radio, I'm not just going to, I'm just going to be like, hey, guys, can we change that? I'm going to be the same me. And I'm going to unconditionally love them in the middle of something that we're all passionate about. You know what has been the most interesting thing for me is that that has been the most effective evangelistic thing I've ever done in my entire life. There are people here this morning from CrossFit. Before we even moved here, we saw so many people make decisions to follow Jesus just because we worked out together. And something would happen in their life and they would be like, it happened in their life and they'd be like, man, J.D., I don't know what it is about you, dude, but, like, I just feel like you can help me with this. Light. When people are dark, they want to come to light. But you got to first understand you've made on purpose for a purpose. you got to attack the lie at the root. Because when you begin to think that you don't matter, when you begin to think that you being you doesn't matter, that actually you being you is wrong, we turn the light off become ineffective in dark places. But what if an army of people rose up and said, you know what? I'm going to go to class tomorrow as the light. And I'm going to be me and I'm going to love Jesus in front of people and I'm going to love them unconditionally no matter what they believe. And I'm not going to treat them or talk to them as though they believe what I believe. I'm just going to love them the way that Jesus loved people. And that means that he loved people who disagreed with him. be the light. I'm going to go to my office and be like, I'm not there by accident. I'm not waiting for my impact. My impact is right now. I've been made on purpose for a purpose, and it's every day, not next week. Every day was written for me. That means that I might not like where I am, but I'm there on purpose for a purpose, and so I'm going to be the light. I'm going to be the best employee that I can be. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to become better at my job to be the light on purpose for a purpose. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive into some of the practical realities of what does it mean for us to live on purpose for a purpose? How do we engage in spiritual conversations? Because I know that's a big question, Mark. We want to help you and give you handrails for that and, and walk with you through it. But it, all of that stuff is useless tools if we don't get this. If we don't first understand that we've been made on purpose, for a purpose, and that you being you is the God, is who God wants to use to reach those around you. You being you, not you being me, not you being somebody that you hope to be like, not you being somebody that you think is effective at reaching his friends. No, you being you is the you that God wants to use 
to reach people, to win some, so that some might be saved, as Paul said. Amen? Would you stand with me? We love to respond to the Word of God. We love to be people that are not just hearers, but doers. And I know that some of us are sensing that I need to make a statement with my body that's going to agree with my heart. And in your heart, you're like, you know what? I'm going to begin to live Monday morning on purpose for a purpose. I'm going to believe that God made me on purpose for a specific purpose. And some of my leaders even now are going to begin to make their way up to the front. If you're a life group leader or a leader in this house, like we would love for you to go ahead and make your way up to the front. But if you're thinking, man, I need to follow through with what I'm feeling. I need to respond physically to what's going on internally. My friends would love to pray for you. But we never want to have any church service where we don't give people an opportunity not just to hear about the light, but to receive the light. Isaiah 53 says that it was the punishment that Jesus endured that brought us peace. I know that some of your hearts right now are chaotic. There's chaos going on right now. And Jesus has not been the Lord of your life. You haven't given yourself to him. You haven't said, you know what, God, I believe that you are who you say that you are, that you did what you said that you were going to do and that you followed through above beyond what I could ask, hope, or imagine by not just living a perfect life, but sacrificing yourself, doing what I couldn't do for myself so that I might receive what I don't deserve, and that is freedom, relationship with God. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but would have eternal life. If you want to know Jesus this morning, if you want to make him your Lord and your Savior, maybe you've known of him, but you've just never surrendered to him. Maybe you've been to church your whole life, but you've never said, God, would you turn the lights on in me so that I can be the light where you've called me to be? So if that's you, if just everybody would bow their hands, we just want you to raise your hand. If you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, if you want to say, I'm yours, God, I'm yours, anybody. So, Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, thank you that you're the God who stirs, you're the God who heals, you're the God who moves. And so, Lord, right now, we just pray together that we would be the light of the world. Jesus, would you turn the lights on inside of us, wash us and teach us to believe that we've been put on earth for a purpose, that you made us on purpose, that the intricacies that make us us matter to you because you have handcrafted us for a mission that nobody else can fulfill. So, Lord, here we are. Would you send us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship and respond.